if, uh, if you haven't been with us, let me tell you what we're doing this fall and up to, the plan is up to Advent and then, Lord willing, on the other side of Advent and the new year to pick this back up. We're studying the book of Hebrews. This is a New Testament book and uh, a lot there. We're having to kind of take big bites of it because it's a big letter. And, uh, and I've mentioned this before. It's, it, we're, we're sort of not sure what genre this is. It's, uh, it's not exactly like other letters that you find in the Bible or epistles, if you know that word, uh, or even other epistles of the first century. It, it, in ways, it's like a sermon, but it's not completely like a sermon because it's kind of like a letter. And so uh, I've seen some scholars say maybe the genre is it's a sermon letter. So that's what I'm going to call it. It's a sermon letter. We're going to be looking at this, um, as I said, for into next year, but we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning, and we are taking a big bite of it this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow in the bulletin. A, a while back, I heard a presidential historian say that she had, had reviewed the, the, the phone recordings of Lyndon B. Johnson during the, during the civil rights, well, the basically the, the civil rights era and, and pressing through the Civil Rights Act. And you know, it's amazing that presidents leave behind this legacy of recorded phone conversations. Can you imagine if there was an archive of all your phone conversations? I would like move to Pango Pango and disappear. But anyway, this historian said that, that when you listen to LBJ in particular, just during the real thick of the, the civil rights tensions, when he got on the phone with the governor of Mississippi... Ross Barnett, and, uh, and I grew up knowing that name. I'm from Mississippi, and the reservoir north of my hometown of Jackson, Mississippi, is the Ross Barnett Reservoir, but he was, he was front and center during that time in Mississippi. This historian said when, uh, when Johnson gets on the phone with him during that time, Johnson's southern accent goes up, and I just thought that was really interesting, that what, what he apparently was doing was he was trying to up connection to communicate with him. He was upping the, the not the dissimilarity, but the similarity to, to get his point across. And, and we all do this. I mean, I bet there have been times where when you're talking to somebody who's just like really quiet, you, you come down. Or if you're talking with a friend who's got a big personality, but you need to say something important, you probably get a little bit bigger in your personality to connect. Hebrews 3 sounds like that. Um, I've already said, if you've been here, that whoever wrote this, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. I'm going to say he when I refer to the writer because the one time he refers to himself, he uses a masculine pronoun. So I'm not trying to be presumptuous, but it seems that it was a man. But when he's writing, you know, he, he, he'll speak in the first person plural. He'll say we about things and us about things as, he speak, as he's writing a Jewish audience. So he seems to have a, a Jewish identity himself, ethnically or culturally or whatever. And it's kind of like he turns up his Jewishness in this passage. I mean, it's, it's all through the book. That's not, that's not unlike the rest of the book. But it's sort of like he ups his Jewish accent to get the main point across. So let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now last week, Jonathan preached about Jesus being our, our champion, the founder of the faith. There's no one and nothing like him. So just coming off that, in chapter 2, the writer writes, Therefore, 
holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt? led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this sermon letter, and we're on another continent than the original recipients, and overwhelmingly we're not from a Jewish background, but we pray that the gospel that is in here that is for every man and woman and child, that it will come through clearly, that you would enable us to hear what the gospel was saying to them, but to hear what the gospel the good news is saying to us because you're saying it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, all right. Picture this, and you've either had this happen to you or you know somebody who's had this happen to them. Uh, they get a phone call, probably during the day. You answer the phone, hello. And the voice on the other end of the phone says, uh, this is such and such. And we wanted to alert you to a possible breach of your bank account. And you think, oh, whew, okay, glad you, glad you called. And then the voice says, um, there is some, uh, it seems to be some unauthorized activity. We wanted to check with you first just to make sure that I'm talking to the right person. Let me verify some of your security information. And what that person doesn't realize is happening at that moment is that they are giving security answers and personal information to a scammer. And they're deceived. 
Now, here's the thing. Like, we're in a room. We're not on the phone with a, with a scammer saying, you know, this is a negative illustration I'm using. So just kind of like in our cool moment here, we, we can go like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, obvious. Uh, no, apparently not. Like, hundreds of thousands of people are scammed because in that moment, they're deceived. And see, and that's, I know I'm stating the obvious, but that's the tricky thing about deceit. When you're deceived, you don't know you're being deceived. That's why you're deceived in that moment. Listen to what the writer says in this passage. Verse 13. Exhort one another every day. We're going to talk about this more as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So there's this warning that, wow, if you don't watch it, you can be deceived by sin. Now, that's really interesting because where does sin come from? Does sin come from the outside or does sin come from the inside? What Jesus was crystal clear on that one, it's not what goes into a person that makes him or her unclean. It's from within, out of human hearts. That's where sin and evil comes from. So, all right, so let's back up. If you can be deceived by sin, understand what that's saying. That means we can be deceived by ourselves. Your your heart and my heart can be deceived by your heart and my heart. Now, one thing I I want you to know about Hebrews, like I said, I don't put all the intro on the front end. I just kind of farm it in as we go. So I'm farming some in the soil right now. Something that you need to get used to in Hebrews is that that two things can just be side by side is you can have the writer assuring the readers, friendly terms with the readers. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, uh, he calls them holy brothers at the beginning. Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. And that doesn't sound like a chew-out session. Calls them brothers again in the passage, affectionate. And he warns them. And if Hebrews is going to make any sense to us, you've got to, you've got to be okay with those going together. Assurance, validation, coupled with watch it. Look out. And this is not a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, pretend warning. This is an actual warning. So, all right, he's writing people who can be deceived by their own sin. And he's a human. He can be deceived by his own sin. We can too. What's the thing they're being lured to do? They're being lured to... Leave Jesus and the gospel that they've heard and sort of just go back to straight up Judaism. And he warns them. How does he warn them? Now, I want to look at two things this morning. It's really, it's the name of the sermon. Contemplate Jesus and review yourself. Contemplate Jesus and review yourself. So let's look at, let's look at how he both loves them and and warns them. Okay, first, contemplate Jesus. He says in the first verse, Therefore, holy brothers, and remember, just got through talking about, wow, Jesus, champion, founder, author, no one like him, he's everything. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Now, that, that Greek verb, for consider doesn't just sort of mean like, huh, like in between commercials when you put your phone down. It's like 
to really fix your attention on something and mull it over. Have you ever been driving and maybe actually arrived at your destination and thought, I have no recollection of driving here? That's actually terrifying if you think about it. You know, or like, I, I don't remember going down that huge, you know, that chunk of road or chunk of the trip because I was just, I was just lost in thought. All right, that's the verb that's used. I'm thinking long and hard about this. The writer uses that term to say, I want you to just park and think about Jesus. But now I said, he's upping his Jewish accent in how he talked to these folks. So how does he turn up the Judaism or Jewish tone to get that point across? Look at what he does next. In fact, he says something twice. Look in verse 2 and then look in verse 5. He says, uh, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now, the house is Israel. Don't so much think like a physical structure like the tabernacle. The temple was not built in Moses' day. That was way later. But the people of God are are God's house. Verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Now, this is, this is really brilliant. The writer says this. All right, let's think about Moses. Just stop for a second and think about Moses. Man, Moses. Now, Moses was faithful. Now, he had his mistakes. He had his big anger moment that kept him from being able to go into the promised land. But big picture, he was faithful doing the stuff that God called him to do for his people, saying the things on God's behalf that God called him to say. And Moses, I mean, he's so big, you can tell that from the New Testament. Uh, when, when people would disagree with Jesus and his opponents would come to him, they would often frame it in terms of, well, Moses said this, or Moses said that, and you're saying this. You versus Moses. When, uh, if you know the story of when Jesus takes three disciples, sort of his inner ring of G, uh, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain, and for just a f- few moments or a few minutes, he stops looking like a Jewish peasant, and he, and he radiates his nature as the Son of God. He radiates with his own glory, and this cloud shows up, and it's not just because they're at high altitude. This is the glory cloud of the presence of God, and God audibly speaks as Moses and Elijah are there. Now, there's a lot going on in that passage, but understand of the, all the people that could have been put there by God to say, all right, this is a special gathering on this mountain. It's the prophet and Moses. And he's huge. Now, what's the big takeaway about Moses? Look in verses 7 through 11. And we've already seen this, if you've been here. The writer likes to quote Psalms a pretty good bit. And he quotes other passages, but Psalms would be, in the, would be in the repertoire. It would be familiar to Jewish readers. So he quotes actually from Psalm 95, and it says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. All right, so you got Hebrews. And by the way, if you haven't been here, um, this is the past, always this side of the sanctuary, and this is the future. 
Okay, so people that sit over here are stuck in the past. These are forward thinkers. So if you're an entrepreneur, you want to hire these people over here. Hebrews quotes Psalm 95. Psalm 95 refers back to the book of Exodus. And it's actually chapter 17 of Exodus. And it's this incident where people have just come out of Egypt. And they did not come out with, like, grocery stores to go to in the wilderness. It's a wilderness. And so panic about, like, food and water and shelter and basic needs. And they start complaining at Moses. Complaining and grumbling at Moses. Until finally the Lord says this. I'm paraphrasing. You know who they're mad at? They're not mad at you. They're mad at me. You know who they're really complaining to? They're not really complaining to you or you, Aaron. They're complaining to me. All right, so what's the takeaway? When you complain, or, or let's say this. The way you regard God's spokesman is the way you regard God. The way you respond to God's spokesman is the way you respond to God. Right, so the writer is saying, we know that, right? We know that's in our Psalms. We know that about our Moses. All right, so what's the takeaway? If God sends a greater spokesman, we better listen. In fact, really, if he sends a spokesman, a representative that's greater than Moses, you better put all your chips on him and consider him. Did you notice what he called Jesus in verse 1? He says, he's an apostle. Actually, he uses the definitive article. He's the apostle. Isn't that interesting? We usually think of apostles as Peter and Paul and John and guys like that. How, how is Jesus an apostle? Well, what is an apostle? An apostle is someone who's sent, and when that apostle speaks on behalf of the sender, it's like the sender said it. When Jesus sends out his apostles and they speak on his behalf and do things on his behalf, it's like Jesus did it. By the way, that's why we regard the writings of Paul and Peter and John as the word of God. Because they are Jesus' apostles. But God the Father sent an apostle. The apostle from the Father is Jesus. And so he says, you, you need to stop and think about him. Um, you know, I, it's funny that Christmas songs grow up with you. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Like, if there was a book, like, if there was a good book that you loved as a child, or maybe when you were a teenager, when you pick it back up in your 40s, 50s, 60s, a good book will grow with you and different things come out. And, and I, I find that Christmas songs are like that. And, and now at 50 and hopefully more years to come, I come back to Christmas songs and I almost feel like, did someone insert that lyric while I wasn't watching? Because I grew up with that song and I don't remember that. And I think some of it is I just couldn't hear it as a child. Can I give you an example? A friend of mine quoted this to me this week and I can't stop thinking about it. So let's start getting ready for Christmas. This is, uh, which is kind of fun. This is from It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. 
And honestly, we normally don't sing that here during Advent. I'm not opposed to it, but just I think sometimes the tune doesn't connect like it used to because it's so da da na 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 na. Okay. It just, I don't know. I don't know what adjectives or descriptors to use, but it can just maybe not hit you the right way. And this, this friend quoted this stanza to me, and I thought, where, where did that come from? Right, now listen to this. Especially if you're thinking, okay, look, I know I need to think long and hard about Jesus and marinate in Jesus and, and meditate on Jesus, but I, that's just not where I am right now. Like, I just came from a funeral. Or, or uh, I, I just got a terrible diagnosis. Or I'm so tired of being single, I could throw up. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Do you understand what the writer is saying? Are you just driving home from a grave? Then you of all people should pull over and hear what the angels are singing. Is your child rebellious to the point where you feel like you don't know this son or daughter anymore? You need you, of all people, need to stop and listen to what the angels are singing. What are the angels singing? They are singing glory to God. Shalom on earth to those with whom God's favor rests. Because God became a man. It's really easy even as churched people, now that may not be you. This may be an anomaly that you're here this morning. And I'm just glad you're here. But even with churched people, that, you can, that we can sort of sail along and not really stop and contemplate Jesus and consider him that, you know, that he would say things like, he, he would say things like to a woman who's been married five times and is now living with a man who won't marry her. So needy, 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 needy. And God in the flesh will look at someone like that and say, you know, if you had asked me, I would give you living water. And you'd stop being thirsty. Have you thought about that? That Jesus is not one of a panoply of religious teachers and leaders. He is God's apostle. And the high priest, which we'll talk about more as we go through Hebrews. So contemplate Jesus. And review yourself. Verse 12. Take care, brothers. It's just the verb for look or see. Look at. Take care, brothers. Uh, see yourself. Review yourself. Okay, what, what am I supposed to look for? What am I supposed to look at? Well, go back to that quote from the Psalms. Look in verse 8. Do not harden your hearts 
as in the rebellion. Verse 10, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So then verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What's the heart? It's the real us, the real you and me. It's the control center of our whole lives is the heart, not the organ, your heart, the real you. Uh, when, I, when I look at my heart, what am I looking for or looking at? And he actually tells you. Look in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Look in verse 19. So we see that these people that complained and grumbled against Moses saw the miracles, saw the plagues, saw the parting of the Red Sea, ate manna from heaven miraculously, and rebelled. So their bodies, except for a few, dropped in the wilderness, and their children that they said were going to die out there went into the promised land. Why did that happen? Verse 19, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The writer says to these readers, and through the word is saying to us, you've got to look at your own heart and monitor and review, do I actually believe or not? And I don't mean just have I become a Christian or not, and that's, that's the front door, but for those who profess faith in Christ, do I actually really daily, today, believe, or do I live in unbelief? For example, like here's just a few actions that do not require review of oneself. This is not exhaustive. I hope I'm not exhausting you. This is just representative. Uh, showering, dressing, waking others if you wake others. Preparing breakfast, texting, emailing, scanning news, commuting to work if you do so, in-office work, meetings, conference calls, business travel, small talk, uh, preparing or buying lunch, shopping, clothes washing, house cleaning, repairs, bill paying, commuting home if you do so, preparing or purchasing supper, uh, watching Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, gaming, weekend projects, weekend sports, weekend travel, hobbies, sleep. None of those require that you ever stop and say, who am I if Jesus is who he is? And I hope that's mildly alarming because I just described essentially our lives. If we don't monitor ourselves, what happens? If we don't review the self, the trajectory, of, well, let me quote the Old Testament. The heart is deceitful above all things. The trajectory of the heart is that it fools us. And we don't consider Jesus. All right, so then what do we do about it? And, and this is really, this is great. 
the writer says there's something you need to do to safeguard that from happening. Let me start back in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do, do you know, biblically speaking, how you harden your heart? Do you know how the heart is hardened? That might sound like God reaches in against your desires and rewires your brain so that you're more opposed to Him. Oh, no, 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 no. The way you harden your heart is just do what comes naturally. Just do what comes naturally and just add one more hour and one more day and let the months and years stack up and we harden our hearts. And the writer says, that's why you've got to exhort each other daily. Now, this is yet another passage that highlights that Christianity is communal. It's collective. It's not just individually me and my Bible and my passion for God and my spiritual goals. But that we need each other. And if I may speak frankly, it, I would just say it's a truism, not just across continents, I'd say across religions, that the more religious an area is, the more thin-skinned it is. Because your devotion, your adherence to the religion is a big deal. And so we're thin-skinned. Is there anyone who can speak into your life? And when I say speak into your life, I don't always mean rebuke. But I mean, is there anybody who can speak into your life and say, hey, look, I struggle with this too, but you know, you, you just never stop. And I, I, I love the great stuff that you're doing, but you, you, like, you will not sit still. And I'm concerned that there is no place of quiet and stability in your life where you can just be close to God and take stock of your life and enjoy Him. Because you go, 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 go. You go during the work week. You go on the weekends. Can anyone speak that way to you? The writer says you've got to have that in your life. And you may not have 30 people that can do that, but are, is there one? Are there two And you may have to really be intentional to seek it out. That's why we need to be together. I'm, this is not the DPC rubber stamp. I'm saying this is why we need worship. We need small groups. We need coffee. Oh, we need coffee. But not just for the caffeine. We need to get across from one another and care and be cared for. So much to say there. I, I, hope that, I hope that you can tease that out in community groups. I, I will just say this. I, I hear more and more people say different versions of this. If something is not put on your calendar, it's not real. I don't mean like the existence of God. I just mean 
It's the difference between, yeah, I'm going to try to do such and such, or yeah, I'd like to do such and such, and actually planning and implementing it with intentionality. If you are not intentional in implementing an opportunity for real connection and someone who can exhort you, it will not magically happen. And your heart is deceiving you. And please don't let that happen. Let me end with this. I, I, um, the day before yesterday, I got to be part of a process of interviewing someone for a, for a faculty position at a school. I got to be part of a group interview. And her specialty is education. She's so sharp and came from a family of scientists and uh, became a Christian in high school and got a Ph.D. in education and just really impressive person. And so in the interview process, I decided I'm going to ask a question that I just I want to learn from her because I don't get to be her student. I said, look, for, for people like me that, that teach on a regular basis, if you could just wave your magic wand and get church teachers, church preachers like me to do one thing differently, what would it be? She said, oh, I don't even have to think about that one. I got mildly nervous and thought she's going to say something I do all the time. And she kind of did. She said, I just wish I could disabuse the church of thinking, oh, well, just simply the way you teach people is just tell them. Which is what I do for a living. And of course, like, we have to do this. There has to be teaching. There has to be preaching. But what she was saying was, you can't really learn, learn, learn without other people. I mean, we know that. And, and friends, whether you're new to this or you've been in it for decades, we can't learn, learn Jesus. We can't consider him deeply and eat his flesh and drink his blood without each other's help. So consider Jesus and take care and watch your heart and reach for brothers and sisters to help you. Because that's the Christian life. All right, let's pray. Father, help us to help one another. Help us to contemplate, eat and drink, digest your son, feed on him, glory in him, adore him, on the weary road. Help us to be that kind of brother and sister to someone else to, to encourage, exhort, say press on, to come alongside. Father, if someone's here who, who knows Jesus but they don't have that person, would you raise up that friend, that brother or sister? Raise, raise up one. Father, for the person who's never considered Jesus, would you show Jesus to him or her this morning? and grant saving faith, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.